This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Haggai chapter 2, we've been using as a text, uh, scripture, a starting point. And uh, we uh, re- are reading or using verses 7, 8, and 9 of Haggai chapter 2. It says, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, this is talking about the rapture. I'll explain a little bit more about that as we go. But he's talking about end time events. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, if you've been with us, uh, I'll remind you. If you haven't been with us, this may be new information to you. But at either rate, um, at the time that these words are spoken, uh, Israel is trying to rebuild the second temple. Solomon's temple was the first temple, and it was uh, filled with the glory of God at, uh, at the point that it was dedicated, and the presence of God was always upon that temple. But uh, because of disobedience on the part of Israel, they were uh, overtaken as a, as a people, as a nation, and uh, they went into captivity. And as such, the temple was destroyed, and then some years later, um, they come to the place where now they're going to be allowed to return to their land and rebuild the temple, and that's when these words are spoken. So God is saying, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory. At first glance, you might think, okay, well, he's talking about I'll refill the second temple with the same glory that they had in Solomon's temple. The problem with that is, and, and, and that would be a legitimate uh, uh, assumption if we didn't have any other information. But the problem is we do have more information. And the Bible tells us that when the second temple was built, rebuilt, we should say, and um, uh, and dedicated there were people, older people, that saw, uh, that were alive during the first temple, Solomon's temple, when it was, uh, when it was built and in operation. And when they saw the dedication of the second temple, they wept. Because th- they said that it was nothing. The second temple was nothing in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple. So he can't be talking about the second temple then. I mean, if we just look at the results, God, either either uh, Haggai really missed it when he said he was speaking for God, or else this isn't the, what God was talking about. Second temple isn't what God was talking about, building with, with glory. Well, there was a third temple, and that was Herod's temple. That was the one that was uh, in existence in Jesus' day. And the disciples were real impressed with that. You remember one day they were walking through the temple, and the disciples were oohing and ah and said, Jesus, have you ever seen anything like this? Isn't this such a wonderful place? And Jesus kind of scoffed at it. And the reason that he did was because Herod built it not for the glory of God, but for his own glory. He built it so that people could say this was this was his place, and it was called Herod's temple. Even in in uh, Jesus' day, it wasn't called the temple of God; it was called Herod's temple, and that's a good uh, good description, a good name for it, because it was all about Herod and nothing about God. And as a result, there was no glory of God at that dedication. There was no glory of God upon that temple at any point in time. And Jesus kind of mocks uh, or scoffs at it and says, well, there won't be one stone left upon another of this temple. In other words, he's, he's, uh, he's recognizing that there's nothing to it because it's not for the benefit of God. It's for the benefit of man. And it was supposed to make people go ooh and ah at uh, the guy that built it rather than the one that was supposed to inhabit it. Well, therefore, if he's talking about filling the house, this temple, this second house, or not the second house, but if he's talking about building uh, the, the latter house, filling the latter house with glory... If he's not talking about the second temple, if he's not talking about Herod's temple, what's he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church. He's speaking figuratively about the church. Now where he says, I'll shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. The Bible says that the earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I believe that has a dual meaning, but one meaning that it certainly has is that it's waiting for Jesus to appear and for us to be changed into his image. 
So he's got to be talking about end time events. So the filling the house, the latter house, he's talking specifically about the state of the church when Jesus returns. Please notice that. And notice what he says. We'll start in verse 7 again. He said, and I will shake all nations. Anybody see anything that might be falling into that category today? Find me a nation that's not being shaken in just about every way possible. He said, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory. He's talking about the church and I will fill the church with glory. Now, folks, the church has been filled with glory in one sense since Jesus was raised from the dead. No question about that. But notice that he says, he speaks of filling the house or the church with glory in relation to what what we can point to and identify as end time events. So he must be saying that there's going to be a special glory at the end. I don't think I'm reading anything into that, do you? Otherwise, why would he attach these two things together? And I will fill this house with glory. Verse 8, he said, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, well, if it's God's, who, why is it God's? Did he make it for the devil and his crown? No way. He's telling us the silver and gold is his because he'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. Folks, there's never been a time in my lifetime that has been more important to believe God for finances and provision. And as we said before, I don't see things getting any better as far as the world's concerned. I don't see anybody's promises coming true. Do you? Thank God his do. So the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the glory of this latter house, talking about the church, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now the only former house they know of is Solomon's temple. And that's when the temple was dedicated and the, the glory of the Lord filled the house like a cloud. And the priest couldn't even stand to minister. Nobody could even get into the place. It was so filled with the glory of God, it encapsulated and, and included every part, every inch, every possible space in the building so that everybody knew it. And the Bible says, God said, that the glory of the latter house, not the second temple, not the third temple, but the church would be greater than Solomon's temple. Now, glory is a word that's, that we've talked about this a little bit before. Glory is a word that's kind of difficult for us to, uh, to, de- to define. If you look up the word in the uh, original language, in the Hebrew language here in the Old Testament, uh, and, and also in the Greek, it, it's, it's pretty similar. And that is, they use the word glory to define the word glory, which means it's one of those things, I guess, that you're supposed to know what it means without anybody having to tell you. The problem is, none of, not many of us know what it means. Let me read the definition to you of the word glory. It means, it comes from the root word meaning to think, which means we're supposed to think something relative to the glory of God. But it means, here's the, here's the definition in Strong's Concordance. The definition of glory is glory. <laughs> As very apparent. In a wide application, literally or figuratively, objectively or subjectively, it means dignity. It means glory or glorious. It means honor, it means praise, it means worship. Okay, well, folks, if you if you use that definition, Solomon's temple was not filled with any of those things. It, it was filled with a cloud. And the, the Bible talks about different ways that the glory of God manifests. In the Old Testament, it talks about cloud, it talks about brightness, it talks about a glistening. It talks about a number of different ways and, and different things like that. Uh, for example, when uh, in, in the New Testament, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw that his, his appearance changed. He was white. He was glistening. He appeared, the Bible says, he appeared in glory. 
Well, okay, but the Bible says Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, and that's the only time anybody saw him shine. So it's got to mean something more than that, too. It can't just mean the appearance when things shine because the Bible speaks of the glory of God. It speaks of the glory of the church. It speaks of the glory of God in us. It's got to mean something more than that. I was praying not too too long ago, and the Lord said these words to me. Now, you judge them for yourself. I'm not trying to get you to, to go by my experience. But you judge them by for for what you think they're worth. The Lord said to me that the glory of God is the wow factor. Because every time the glory of God manifests, whether it's in, in appearance as a cloud or the brightness or whatever, everybody around wound up saying, wow, in some way or another, whether, whether literally or just within themselves, it's like, wow. When the glory of God filled Solomon's temple, it was a wow moment. Wow. We never saw this before. When Jesus healed the sick, it talks about the glory of God being manifest in Jesus' healing ministry. When he healed the sick, it left people astonished. The Bible says people were astonished. When Jesus taught the word of God, it was the presence of God, the spirit of God that was on that teaching. It caused people to be astonished. They said, we've never heard anything like this before. So it's a manifestation of God or the presence of God that causes us to be astonished or to recognize that it's supernatural in some form or another. I've got to be real careful about this because I don't want to just use examples of power because power is not the only part of God that should make us go wild. There are times where we can be quiet in his presence that we go, wow. There are times where we reverence God, where we're still before him, that we should be going, wow. You know, this present generation has lost that. This present generation, the music of this current generation, all the things that are going is all about excitement. It's all about soulless stuff. It's all about feelings. It's all about this. Uh, they want to have a feeling of wow without the reverence of wow. Brother Hagen made a statement um, uh, many times, but uh, during the time I was working with him uh, in the early 80s, uh, he said that the Lord spoke to him and said, "If you, there's a move of the Spirit that will be lost if you don't teach it to this generation. Well, the, some of the greatest things that I ever saw, and you've heard me tell some of the stories and, and some of the, the miracles and the healings and different things like that I, that I've witnessed, those were, were incredible, incredible things. But they always left me with a reverence for God. The greatest move of God that I've ever witnessed was in a room with about 2,500 people and there was such a stillness, there was such a quietness, there was such a, a, a heaviness. And by the way, heavy is one of the words that's used to describe the glory of God in the Old Testament. There was such a heaviness that came down on everybody, not a depressive type thing, but it was just a weightiness. It was like, whoa, we, nobody needs to do anything here. This is all God. And then like you snapped your finger, the, the, like there was somebody on the platform that, that orchestrated this, some unseen power, at the, the, instantly all 2,500 of us began to dance in the Spirit. Well, folks, if you tried to organize that, you couldn't get it to work. But it was instantaneous. Nobody was planning it. It was like God was choreographing the thing. But there's a wow factor to God. There should be a wow factor to everything that God does. There should be a wow factor to your Christian life. You and I should wake up every morning saying, Okay, Lord, what are you going to wow me with today? 
I, um, I, I didn't get this story firsthand, got it secondhand, so I don't know if I've got all the details right, but there's a family in our church that uh, they've got a, a, a son that's very gifted in, in athletics and different things like that. They've got him involved in everything. I mean, he's skiing, he's, he's uh, uh, playing soccer, he's doing, I mean, he's doing everything. This kid is booked up solid. Loves it. I'm not criticizing anything. He loves it. I heard he woke up one morning, ran into his mom and dad and said, Mom and Dad, what wonderful, exciting thing do you have for me to do today? <laughs> we ought to be that way with God. We ought to be that way with God. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. It is much more of a school than any other healing service I'd been to. Pastor Mike goes through the specific scriptures in the Bible that point to the healing power of God. Come visit Healing School, where you can hear and be healed. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to, uh, to Romans chapter 16. Paul talked about the mystery where the glory of God was concerned. Now, a mystery is something that was once hidden but now revealed. Notice what Paul said. He said in verse 25, he's, uh, he's closing his letter to the Romans. Maybe start, it should start in verse 24. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, to him that is of power... To establish you. Folks, the power to establish you, to ground you, to keep you steady is in God. That's the only place you're ever going to find it. Now he that has, to him that has power to establish you, according to my gospel. How are you and I going to be established? According to the gospel that Paul gave to us. Stop and think about that for a minute. Paul is telling the world, you're going to be judged by my gospel. My gospel is the only thing that's going to put you over in life. Folks, if Paul was to say that today, I'm not sure exactly how things were in his day. There were some similarities. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, Should I have letters of commendation sent to you to prove to you who I am? And then he turned around and he said, Or should I get letters of reference from you to show others that I'm okay? He concludes that by saying, I don't need some epistle from somebody. You're our epistle. You're the proof of what we have and proof of our ministry. So Paul says... Now unto him that's able to establish you, has the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Folks, that was Paul's gospel, to to describe to us, to reveal to us who we are in Christ. According, notice this phrase, according to the revelation. Here's what Paul's saying his his ministry, his gospel is. According to the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. Paul says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. In other words, he's saying, God made me a minister, not somebody else. God put me in position by his own power. Unto me, which am less, who am, le- who am less, 
than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see, verse 9, and to make all men see. Folks, here's, here's the grace need of the church right here. And to make all men see. Here's the greatest need for the church and what we need to renew our mind to. And here's the greatest work of the church in reaching the world. It all comes down to the same thing. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. Think about that. God had a mystery. He had a secret hidden plan. It's almost like there was a secret pocket that God had and he kept his plan right there and the devil didn't know anything about it. Let me prove to you the devil didn't know anything about it. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse... Better uh, uh, start in verse 4. He said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what God wants you to believe in. That's what He wants your faith to be in, is in His power. Not in some doctrine, not in some religion, not in some, some denominational position, but in His power. He doesn't even want you to believe in your believing. He wants you to believe in His power. Now, folks, all of those things are right. Doctrine is right. We should have right doctrine. We should know what the Bible says to us. But the purpose of the Bible is to reveal to you God's power. Because if all we've got is to tell people, come, uh, well, what has the church done for so many years? Said, well, God wants to make you sick. God wants to bring tragedy in your life to teach you something. And it's a hard, hard road. But come give your heart to Jesus and be one of us. Man, that just sucks them right in, doesn't it? (laughs) On the other hand, you show somebody the power of God to deliver them. It's a whole different matter. So he said, by the Holy Ghost, that God wants us, our faith to stand in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Verse 6. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. One translation says, the dethroned powers that still rule in this world. The Bible says Satan is a defeated enemy. Folks, the devil is not your problem. He's defeated. Well, but Pastor Mike, if he's defeated, why is he causing me so much trouble? Because you haven't yet seen who you are in Christ and taken your authority to overcome him. Now, don't get me wrong. Once you take your authority, it doesn't mean you'll never have any more trouble with the devil, but it means you will always overcome the devil. It means you'll always walk in victory over him. Whoever heard of a championship sports team that never had to play a game? That's what I think some people want in their Christian life. I just want the championship trophy. I don't want to have to play the season. But the Bible gives us more of a picture of because who you are in Christ, you outclass your opponent. And even if it looks like he's going to win in an inning or win a quarter or two, don't worry, you'll win the championship trophy. Stay in there, hang in there, play the games, fight the battles, do what's necessary, you will come out on top. 
And folks, you know as well as I do, the things we prize the greatest in life are the things that we work the hardest to get. You give somebody something, they'll think it's of no value, but they have to work for it. Man, then they appreciate it. Well, that's the, what the fight of faith is all about. So he says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. He keeps talking about mysteries, doesn't he? Paul seemed to understand this truth. He under, seemed to understand that this was a mystery that had been kept hidden or secret from the world until he came along and got the revelation that he had. And that's why his message was so important. And that's why the devil tried to stop him everywhere he went. That's why this thorn in the flesh, which was persecution, was raised up against him because his gospel, the revelation of the mystery, was the key to success in life. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Notice it says several things. It says God's hidden wisdom, his hidden mystery, that which was kept secret in him, Not God tucking it away somewhere where it could be found, but in him himself was ordained before the world began. That means before God ever made Adam and Eve. It means before Adam and Eve ever had a chance to fall. God knew what the plan was. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the fall was going to take place. He knew it was going to look like for a long time that the devil won. But God's plan was to restore man to what? He says, it was ordained from the beginning of the world, before the world began, unto our glory. God's original plan was for you to be filled with his glory. For you to be filled with the wow factor of God. For you to be filled with his power. For you to be filled with his presence. For you to be filled with his goodness, his character, his love, his nature. For you to be filled with that which causes other people to look at us and say, wow, that's different. So it was ordained. Here, this mystery was ordained before the world unto our glory, which, verse 20, verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. He's talking about none of the evil spirits knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Folks, do you realize that the devil would have had one simple way to keep God's plan from ever coming to pass? And that's just not crucify Jesus. It couldn't be God that brought about the crucifixion. It had to be the devil working through man. For it to be legal. For it to be legitimate. For it to be a worthy sacrifice. It had to be man's doing who was influenced and prompted and driven by the devil. So if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now what things is he talking about? He's talking about the glory of God. Well, yeah, Pastor Mike, that's right. I hadn't seen it, ear hasn't heard it. We won't know till we get to heaven. No, no, no. Keep reading, verse 10. But God has revealed them to us now by his Spirit. He's not talking about things in heaven. Folks, the Bible says that the heaven is the glory of God. The Bible says heaven is the place of glory. There is a glory realm. But don't you think that you're only supposed to enter into glory when you leave this earth? 
God's already ordained you unto glory here, now. Now think about what that means. Ephesians 1, 7, I think it is, calls God the Father of glory. So the Father of glory sent the Lord of glory to the earth for the benefit of man who had been crowned with glory but fell from glory. For what purpose? To restore him to glory. That's the whole reason Jesus came. That's the whole reason Paul gave us the letters that he gave us. Because it's not just a matter of Jesus died to to save you from sin. Please, please, please. And when you say that, religious people will get all uptight and they'll puff up about this and say, well, nothing's more important than being forgiven from sin. That's right. But the reason you were forgiven from sin was so that you could walk in glory. So much of the church is sitting back in the corner just saying, well, I don't know why all these bad things are happening to me, but thank God I'm saved. And God's saying, wait a minute, what do you think you're saved to? We talk, the, the we, meaning the church world, modern day church world, talks about so much about being saved from. What are you saved unto? If there's a, if there's a kidnapping, if somebody's been kidnapped and it makes the big news and, and everybody's talking about it, well, when they're released, thank God they've been ransomed or, or, you know, bought out of something, but under what? If their life isn't better than when they were kidnapped, what's the point? If you've been delivered un, uh, from something, it's because you've been delivered unto something else. Well, you've been delivered from sin, but unto what? Well, that's the part that most of the church doesn't seem to get. You've been delivered unto glory. Your life should be a continuous wow. Look what God did. Your life should be a daily wow. Look what God did. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 again. For God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things, of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save or except the spirit of man which is within him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not going to receive, we have received not the spirit of this world but the spirit which is of God that we might know. Everybody say no. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That we might know these things that are freely given to us of God. God wants you to know about His glory. Folks, glory is not something that's supposed to stay hidden. Glory is not something we're supposed to sit around saying, wow, I wonder what the glory of God is. The glory of God is something you need to experience. You're supposed to experience in your daily life. Whether it's healing. Whether it's supernatural revelation from God. Whether it's financial provision. Whether it's a prompting to say the right thing to the right person to help somebody else. It's the glory of God. Every day should be a wow factor for you. Or there should be a wow factor to every day of your life. God's plan, which was the mystery that he hid from the world from the beginning, was to live in us. His plan is for you to manifest His presence and His power in your everyday life. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we learn how to manifest the glory of God together. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body 
as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. In healing school, to me, you learn, first off, that healing is for you. I had a healing myself. Pastor Mike does not insist that he lay hands on you, that you have authority through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he did. And so I accepted that. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.